Hey, what's going on? My name's Lee Hopkins. My pronouns are he, him, his, and you're listening to the Patterns of Possibility podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to helping you replace harmful patterns with new possibilities. In each episode, we'll explore topics that inspire confidence, direction, and resilience. In this episode, Hannah Pillow explains how she fought to keep herself from being labeled and placed in the box for her entire life. She's adamant about sharing her story because she's hoping that she can give the tools that someone else needs to deal with situations just like that. Are you ready? Let's go. It's Tuesday. I have an interview for you, and I'm very excited to introduce this person. Like, I'm not introducing anyone. I already told you that's not my thing, right? I'm excited to let her introduce herself. Hannah Pillow, please tell us who you are, what you do, why you're here. Hi. Hi, Lee. Thanks for having me. Yes, I am Hannah Pillow. Um, I am the founder of the Refreshingly Human podcast. I have... um. BA in communication sciences and have been doing a lot of work in the field of communications. I'm so excited to be here today. I love the concept of changing patterns into possibilities or identifying patterns. Uh, Like we said a little bit before jumping on here, patterns have a lot to do with our communication styles as well. And it's just something I'm so passionate about. So excited to have this conversation. Fantastic. I'm really glad to have you here because I like communication too. I mean, you're a podcaster, I'm a podcaster. And I'm just curious though, like what was so important about communication to you? Why was Mm -hmm. it so important? Well, I mean, I think for me growing up, and I think a lot of people can relate to this as millennials that growing up in the culture that I did, communication has always been a huge barrier towards any relationship I had in the past. And I often felt like I was misunderstood, like nobody was hearing me. And often the time that was the case. So I've come to realize how important it is to be able to communicate well with others, but also be able to recognize patterns in communication from the people you are communicating with. Because sometimes you have to walk away and sometimes you want to engage. And I think it's so important to recognize when do we need to walk away from something. Uh, I think we live in a society that wants us to always fix everything. But you know what? Sometimes I think you just have to walk away. Yeah, sometimes you do. Sometimes you do, especially if you really can't connect with each other. Now, I talk about how agreement and understanding are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. And you can't agree with someone if you don't understand what they're talking about. So this communication is super important. I want to step back, though, because I heard you say, um, talk about your relationships and growing up in a culture and your relationships. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Are you talking about like you're being misunderstood or or not heard in relationships? Mm -hmm. But you said it was a cultural difference. So what is that cultural difference that you were running into? So I wouldn't say it was a cultural difference for me growing up. Growing up, I grew up like just a little context for the listeners, I'm South African and I have Indian heritage. And I grew up in like a South African Indian Muslim family. Um, so growing up, we all had, I would say similar culture growing up. The The communication barriers there, I would say were more maybe a generational thing, uh, more me separating from the family ideals, what we would call the black sheep and those kind of misunderstandings coming about. Um, I grew up in a culture where we very much pinned a a good guy and a bad guy philosophy. So, you know, there was someone who was always 100% good and someone has to be painted 100% bad. There was no like, oh, we're just human and we all have good and bad qualities in us. You know, it was it was like a blanket statement. And once you were pigeonholed in the family, you were kind of like, I would say, battered on whatever pigeonhole they put you in. But as I grew up, And as I separated from the family and left the fold, that's when the cultural thing became, you know, it kind of felt like I had left a specific box. So I left my Muslim faith 
I left South Africa and I, I, I traveled to a whole new country and I was, so all my life I was told exactly which box I had to fit in, how, how to be, how to be a woman, how to be a Muslim, how to be a grown up. And I was like, yo, told exactly how I was supposed, what kind of personality I was supposed to have. And when I stepped away from that environment, it was like, okay, now I get to decide for myself who Hannah is. And the frustration that I got was that people kept wanting to shove me back into a box when they saw me. So for example, because I'm brown skinned, they would instantly want to put me in an India box. And it's not even like saying I'm from South Africa was like not enough for them. So it would be like, no, but where are you really from? So they want to like pull me back and be like, you're not actually from South Africa, which I am. I am from South Africa. I have Indian heritage, sure, but I'm from South Africa. (laughs) Exactly. And then they would also want to like when I moved to the UK, um, because I'm brown skinned, everyone associates here brown skin with being a Muslim. So they wanted to shove me back in that box. And I just kept feeling like people were just trying to instantly put me back in the boxes that I worked so hard to break away from to find my own part. And that's why I'm very passionate about breaking these stereotypes, questioning why we feel the need to put these people, put people in boxes. I think it's, I think it's lazy on our part. You know, we want to think we know things by just looking at people. And I think we need to really start questioning how we actually get to know people from, you know, from the foundation level. How do we actually get to know people? Do you get to know people by immediately putting them in boxes when you meet them? Or do you get to know people by organically having conversations with them over time? Well, the way I like to get to know people is judging this book by their cover. That's exactly what I like to do. Just no, not really. Not really. (laughs) I was going to be like, whoa, what? Your face. Your face. Your face was like, what? What? But no, of course. (laughs) Of course. Of course. You, (laughs) I mean, it had to be really frustrating and difficult to come from an environment where you can't be seen for who you are, what you do, what you like, all these things that are, that make you a real three-dimensional person. Not just what people can see, but also, you know, what we hear, what you, what the meaning is behind your words, what you do, all those things, they, they make a, a person, a whole person. And so to leave that environment and to go to a place where you again found yourself being put back in a box and find it interesting that it's just about all these major characteristics that you have, like... Um, there's, there's major identifiers that they're just telling you that you're not those things. And, um, so how did you handle that? Yeah. So, well, just to clarify, I'm, I'm not Muslim. Um, but I I was, I grew up as a Muslim, so I can identify with the Muslim culture. Sure. But I don't live my life with any of that culture anymore. Um, and yeah, people would, people will identify me as Muslim because they think, you know, brown skin equals Muslim here in the UK <laughs> for some reason. That's interesting because I, well, if we could just put a pin right there, because I, I mean, I'm curious, I'd like to ask you about this because I know that uh, Jewish people, they identify as Jewish. Some people do. They say, yeah, I'm Jewish, but I don't do any of the Jewish things. Mm-hmm. I just am. So is, is that not the same kind of identity? I, I hear something different totally different absolutely different jewish can be like a heritage um being muslim is being like being christian like you're not it's not your heritage it's not your heritage um it's a religion Mm -hmm. and it's a religion i don't believe in anymore you know it's my family's culture but there's nothing in my life i do anymore that is remotely muslim culture so i don't even identify as being a cultural muslim because there's literally nothing that i do anymore that even relates to Muslim culture in my own personal life. Um, that makes a lot of sense. So, Thanks for clearing that up. Yeah. So for me, the term Muslim is simply a religion you believe in or not. And I I chose to shed that from my life. Thanks for clearing that up. Really, that was um, something that was on my mind because I definitely am relating to the same thing. Like I grew up as a Christian, but I don't do any of that stuff anymore. It's just so not aligned with any of my other values it just uh 
it does the too much of this 100% good, 100% bad kind of thing. That's where we get a bunch of shame and we get sadness and we get people hiding from who they really are. All those things that I wanted to escape, I found that that was the one of the major things. Actually, it's the biggest like value that I had to just remove, the biggest belief I had to get rid of. And uh, I'm imagining that's the same for you because it's so prevalent. Absolutely. And I'm glad you used that word belief because... Um, for me, it's like, I don't believe in the Muslim God, Allah. I don't believe in the Prophet Muhammad being the final prophet. And to be a Muslim, you have to believe these things, you know, and, and adhere to these philosophies. And my belief set is so far away from, you know, the Muslim culture, or the Muslim beliefs that I grew up with. And I think that's a very good distinction there and it's absolutely so true to what you said that my beliefs my values and the way I live my life go very much against the way I was raised um and <laughs> that that alone can cause so many problems as well uh, within my family I would say yeah because you did mention Muslim one-on-one I guess those are two things that you have to believe in and obviously if you don't hey you're not going to fit in that box and you're, you're happy to get out of that you're happy to create your own path and so you talked about a moment ago, uh, generational miscommunication. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that is something that I've not heard before, a term <laughs> I had not heard before. And when I think about it, I think about like, well, I'm a millennial and I think you are too. And uh, I'm one of the older ones. When Gen Z, I think they're after us, they speak. I'm like, I have no idea what most of the things they're talking about are. Oh, <laughs> so- God, Yeah. Yeah. And I I imagine, though, that it's the same for you. Like, how are you talking to your parents or how are you talking to the people that are older than you or even younger than you? How does that work for you? Right. So this is really important to highlight. So I'm going to take an example from my own family. I'm going to use the example of, say, my mom, for example, right? The way she grew up and the way she was raised, um, maybe not the way, but the era that she was raised in was so different to the era that I was raised in. And one of the main differences, I would say, was the openness and the awareness of mental health. And this was something that was seriously lacking when my own mom was growing up. So when you're talking about patterns, Lee, you're kind of like talking about the communication patterns that they had back then. So, or not just the communication patterns, but even the parenting patterns, the value patterns, it was being repeated. So what my grandparents did with my mom was repeated by my mom. And I don't know if you ever heard like the boomer generation saying things like, oh, I turned out just fine. My mom used to beat me and I turned out just fine. Have you heard that? Yeah, absolutely. And that is the mentality. We were like, but did you really? Did you really turn out just fine? You think you are. They're not even like, uh, what do you mean by that? No. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. So there's this level of self-awareness that that generation is lacking from what our generation has. And I think I think the reason that is, and I know if any boomers hear this, they're going to be all coming off to me. <laughs> but <laughs> the reason that is, is because we were lucky enough to be raised in an era of mental health awareness. That is the only reason. And that's why, like, for me, when I now have any interactions with my mom, for example, it's kind of like I I have compassion for her because I feel like I was given a lot more opportunities that she was not given. And I'm... I feel like I'm very blessed to have the level of self-awareness that I do have. But at the same time, from a mental health perspective, I had to separate what is her problem from what is mm-hmm. has to be my problem. Her problem being that there's a lot in her life she can't recognize that she needs to work on. There's a lot of patterns in her life she hasn't picked up on. And if somebody does not accept the issues or the mental health issues in their life, if, they don't, if they're not even aware of it, there's nothing anyone else can do. And I have to kind of separate myself from that and focus on myself, my journey, 
my reality and my perception and separate everything else, which is not an easy thing to do. Um, but I will say that moving very far away from South Africa <laughs> really helped. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, that definitely helped me moving away from home, just kind of searching for, for things and connecting with other people. So I mean, you pointed out a couple of interesting things, like as far as the mental health and the self-awareness, we're definitely... I think as a, a culture, as a, as a people, as a race, as a, a species, I think I like species. We're, go, we're coming into this more aware kind of thing. Like the parents, their parents, they're like, you're here to work the farm so that we can all live. <laughs> we can all eat. So you're six years old, go feed the chickens. And, then, you know, so they didn't get an opportunity. And that's why you have so so much compassion is because you know that you can see that pattern. I, I kind of wish that I could like transform into a fly, go back in time and be a fly on the wall in my mom's house when she was growing up. I feel like I will learn. I would learn so much about why she is the way she is. I feel like it would just reveal mm -hmm. so much. And I wish I could do that. Um, I really wish that I could have that open conversation with her and that I would get like the real stories, but they're so guarded in that generation. They want to perceive that everything is perfect and everything is fine, that they will never talk about the trauma. They'll never talk about it. I know that really, that really hits home for me because that right there is so frustrating because I, I'm, I'm all about talking about my stuff and I know that's the way to work it out. And I want to hear about what's going on with my family. I want to hear about what's going on with other people because I want to know who they are. And their parents, they come from that mindset that we've got it good and everybody else has to know we have it good. So whatever dirt we have, you got to keep it under wraps. Bury it. Yeah, bury it. And they carry it for decades. It's been mm -hmm. decades. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They want to present the shiny sides of the coin. But like for me, I want to know the human behind this, you know? I want to know mm -hmm. every part of it because for me, if I understand all parts of what makes you who you are, I can I can love you unconditionally. Yeah, absolutely. And in these, you mentioned uh, unconditional love and I'm curious about what that means to you because it sounds like that's something you do for your, your parents or... So I'm going to say that I think we are guilted into unconditional love for our parents. I don't think that we all have that. And oh no, I don't think that I do. <laughs> if oh, I'm going to be okay. perfectly honest. My bad. <laughs> I, I don't think that I have that. I have compassion. Yes, I mm -hmm. have understanding. But I feel, I feel like my love is something that people have to earn. You know, my unconditional love is something that people have to earn. Um, and they earn that by being 100% real with me. And I can, when I can see that someone's 100% real with me, they're showing me all sides of the coin, top, bottom, left, right, and there's nothing to hide, then I can unconditionally love and trust that person. And there's so many people in my life who I have that relationship with, you know? Because what it is, Lee, is that if they are being 100% real with me, I can be 100% myself with them as well. And that is really important to have that two-way. Now, when it comes to someone like my family or my mom, for example, there's always going to be a level of, I cannot be 100% Hannah in front of her because she doesn't accept certain things about me. She doesn't agree with a lot of things about me. Um, mm -hmm. And there's always going to be that barrier there that's going to be like, okay, I can understand that. I know where you're coming from. I can, I can compromise. But is this really a loving, accepting relationship? Right. I got you. Yeah. If you can't be 100% yourself, if you have to hide, then there we go with that shame again. There we go with that disconnection when you're mm -hmm. in shame. Like, oh, well, I can't say these words because it's going to have a reaction and we're going to fight about this thing. And I don't want to fight. I just want to talk to you. I just want to 
be here with you. I just want you to be interested in what I'm doing. I want to be interested in what you're doing. But dang it, mom, you're not talking to me about what you're doing because you've got to be from that generation. And you don't want to hear about what I'm saying because you got to be from that generation. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. I mean, I think if you're talking about patterns, the biggest pattern in my life has always been a rocky relationship with my mom. And it's something that that I've learned that you just can't run away from that. You know, like I I, I left cross borders. I, 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 you know, moved to countries. And you know, Lee, um, I'm going to be quite honest here. Last time I was supposed to record with Lee, I came on a blubbering mess because I was like in tears over some trauma that just happened in my family, which I can't go into detail here because it's personal to my family, but it triggered me so much and it brought about so much of past pain, so much of trauma. And it just makes you realize that no matter how much you did the work to carry on with your life, the trauma and the hurt, it lives with you and things trigger it. It's always there. Mm-hmm. I had to have a good cry about it. I just had to, you know, I, I couldn't bottle it up. I couldn't leave it alone. I had to cry about this thing and I had to process this thing and I had to acknowledge that this person has hurt me again and again and again and they're probably going to hurt me again in the future. That's like, I feel like that's a no-brainer at this point. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it, it's really healthy to, of course, you know, be fully immersed in your feelings, have all the feelings, like recognize that, oh, this is sadness and not try to turn it into something else. Like, And I think like this time around when it happened, I think it's so I haven't been home in over two years because of COVID. And obviously I've been missing home. I've been missing like members of my family. But the way this whole situation went down, for me, it just kind of like, reinforce the fact that because I'm not there I'm not even considered part of the family anymore because I'm not even part of these conversations I'm I'm like an afterthought and it's like I feel like it's like loudly echoed that you're not even part of this unit anymore uh we're not going to be telling you what's happening we're going to always be showing you the perfect side of the coin and you're never going to know what's happening underneath it unless we want to tell you because this was not the first time that they deliberately hid something from me um, because I'm not there and something huge. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I mean, it feels so, man, distant, like you're physically distant, Mm -hmm. but you don't really want to be emotionally distant. That's the thing that kind of keeps us connected. And you want to, you want to at least have something there. If we can't talk about the things that are the very most important to you, then how can we connect? I understand the little things that you do on a day-to-day basis that you might not want to share because of this and that, but the big things that are important to you and everybody else in your life, you want to leave me out of those? Yeah. And and the thing is, everybody knows. That's the thing that frustrates me is everybody in the family knows. My brothers, they all know things. They all talking about things, but nobody tells me anything. And it's kind of like, I don't know. It, it's just, it feels... I'm going to say it kind of feels like high school all over again, where you are like the, you know, the 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 one who's bullied, who's left out. Everyone's talking about stuff and keeping you out of that circle. Kind of feels mm. like that all over again, you know? Yeah, they're, you're, you're, <laughs> your, your brothers are really mean girls. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. They're not doing it to be mean girls. What I think is happening is I think that I think that they are being told not to tell me things. Mm-hmm. And there's only one person who would tell me things despite being told not to tell me. But the others would be loyal to don't tell Hannah X, Y, and Z. And I think the fact that somebody is telling them don't tell Hannah X, Y, and Z is that is the mean girl mentality. That is the viciousness. Mm. Yeah. Like, why not? Why don't you want to tell me? You know, do you think? What do you think I'm going to do with this information if you had told me? That was going to be my next question, actually. <laughs> thinking, what are you going to do with the information? What would and, you do if they told you? And that's, this is the thing, though. Like, I feel like they don't know me as a person because I don't know what they think I'm going to do if they had told me these things from the get-go. Like, 
Lee, I have such a loyalty to the people that I care about. And yeah, I might not have unconditional love for certain people, but I still have that loyalty to them because they are connected to me in some way. You know, I still care about them. I still have that compassion for them. And when I have that loyalty and compassion for somebody that's connected to me, I deeply want to want to be there for them. I want to help them. I want to you know, I want to see what I can do to to make things better or if I can just listen to them or if I can I guess I guess what it's coming to is that I do have a bit of a savior complex <laughs> when it comes to the people that are in my life. Ah. I have a savior complex. I want to be the hero. Okay. And but I don't think they actually recognize that. I'll be honest. I from my point of view, I think that they think that whatever they tell me, I'm going to be judgmental and malicious about it. I think that's what they think. Okay. And so you got that. That was another question I was going to ask you. But what would you do with the information if they had told you? Like, mm-hmm. well, how do you how do you think it would play out for you? Like, yeah. if they just told you straight out. So if they had told me straight out, I would have at least been a part of the conversations with my with my brothers as to so. Are we for this? Are we against this? What are we going to do? What questions do we need to ask about this? Where do we move forward from this? You know? Ah, gotcha. And, and my 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 role whenever something happens and I know about it is always the peacemaker. So I always try to like be like on both both sides of the coin. Okay, but but this is how she feels, this is how you feel. Where's the middle? What can we do? Right. That would be my my take on things. But I'm not given that opportunity and I don't I don't have my family's respect enough to be involved in these things because I don't I think they have a very low opinion about me. <laughs> wow, blah, that sucks. But it's also though that you know you're the savior, the the savior complex <laughs> and uh you know you want to be the hero and that that definitely sounds like a hero role right there taking that information like all right there's trouble here just sit down let me explain this to you okay i'm gonna fix it i've done that in the past like yeah i've I've been the one to do that in the past so many times and it's often when often when my mom does something that affects my siblings i'm always the one who steps in and be like now what can i do to help you know one of my brothers even lived with me for a year because of a situation that was created that you know I can't go into too much detail about that because it's not my story but yeah but one one of my brothers actually lived with me for a while um so I mean I've I've taken those roles you know I've um yeah I feel like my maternal role is I'm not a mom but I feel like my maternal instinct especially for my brothers is so strong that it hurts me when I can't be there to you know, to just have the conversations with them. That's all. Just to have mm-hmm. the conversations. There's nothing yeah, else. Yeah, because you know, because you know that like talking is very helpful. It's mm-hmm. very, it's therapeutic. It's healing. It's what we need to do. We don't need to bottle things up. So just being there to have an ear to mm-hmm. the conversation is is more than enough. It's it's a lot more than a lot of people know that they need. That's why um, I used to go to the bars and I used to drink. And I talked to the bartenders or the people to the at the the bar stool next to me or something because I just wanted to to talk about whatever it was I was feeling, and going to the bars and talking to the bartender and the people around you that to me sounds like a scene from a movie or from a TV series. Does that actually happen in real life? Oh yeah, and Cheers happens too. Like where everybody knows your name, everybody knows you know Cheers. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> Okay, because you're looking at me like, what is that? Okay, I was just wondering if it was an, a worldwide thing or not. You I know, watched I, maybe two episodes. Same, but I know it. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows your name. Everybody knows your name. Yes, <laughs> yes. And so, you know, when people walk in the bar, they're like, Norm. And he's like, yeah, everybody. That was me. Like, I wow. live really close to a bar and here in Chicago. And I miss that place. Honestly, I like the people that were there. But I, I lived super close. Like I lived in a really small shoebox apartment and I just needed to walk not even a block. It was like a minute, less than a minute. And I was at this bar 
And it was really cheap, cash only bar. On Tuesdays, I'd have like $2 drinks. I'd be there and I'd order, I would always order a Guinness and they would see me come in and they would have a Guinness ready for me. So oh. yeah, I really enjoyed going there and talking to the people. They knew me, they knew what I liked to drink and they knew just about as much as I knew about myself at that time. Okay, enough about that. <laughs> No, Let's you took me to there. You took me there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to this person, Hannah Pillow, mm-hmm. who's, who's we have to talk about this communication because I, I think it's really interesting that you talked about how you get in the middle and you're the peacemaker, you help out and you, you you've said that you have conversation with people mm-hmm. and you say that you try and understand one person's point of view. And explain mm-hmm. how it looks for the other person and so forth. Who is in that communication? I imagine that you're like thinking about how your mom feels mm-hmm. and trying to close the gap with your brothers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like there's like again, I can't get into details of, of any of the specific situations because they're not mine to talk about. Um, but yeah, I guess like there's there's a lot going on right now and I think that it's important for us to have compassion you know whether we whether we feel in our hearts that something is wrong it's I feel like right and wrong can be so subjective sometimes you know you know maybe what they what happened was deceitful sure but we are all adults at the end of the day we're all accountable for our own actions and I feel like as as a family I feel like we should we should be there for each other and you know like I think have a healthy conversation about it be able to have a healthy conversation so I think the conversations in my mind what is going is that A is saying to B that this is wrong I don't approve. Let's, um, I'm, I'm not going to support you. And this is old school communication to me where we give an order and we expect, because we gave the order, we expect the person to follow it. And this is like authoritative communication, old school communication. And it's not, it doesn't work. If you tell someone that I don't agree with you, don't do it. If you do it, I don't support you. They're not going to not do it just because you don't agree. <laughs> Right, exactly. It is really great to have your own boundaries, certainly. So there are things that you may not agree with or or care for, but that doesn't mean that it is going to change how someone else behaves. Exactly. It doesn't- and I think it's very manipulative to say that I'm uh you know, I'm not going to I'm going to hold something against you. I'm going to I'm going to do X, Y, and Z if you don't listen to me. I think it's quite a manipulative thing to do. You could say, you could say outright, okay, I don't agree with what you're doing. Um, It doesn't fit my morals. But if you as an adult feel this is what you need to do, you need to be accountable for it. And I'm, I'm here if you need me. Right. That's what we would hope that our parents would do. Oh, I'm not even talking about my parents here right now. I'm actually talking about someone who is my age who is actually dealing with my parent. I'm actually on my mom's side right now. <laughs> what? I'm so confused. <laughs> <laughs> so so in the, in the current situation back home, um, like the, the dynamic is that everyone is kind of like, they don't agree with what my mom did and and neither do I. I don't, I don't, we don't agree with the way that she did it, not with what she did. We don't agree with the way that it was done. But the situation was that I feel like people were telling her that, you know, I don't think they were saying that we're going to be here for you despite this. They were like, we're not going to support you. We're not going to come. Uh, we're not going to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, we're not going to show the community that we support you. And I feel like that, giving those ultimatums to someone is not healthy. And it's it's going to cause more of a problem than anything else. Yeah, because there's it's like, you know, there's a difference. I, I feel like there's a, a difference between like setting these healthy boundaries where 
you clearly demark some things that you don't want people to cross and you say there are consequences if you cross this line because this line makes me uncomfortable and I don't want you in that space. Mm -hmm. And then there are things like you're not even really paying attention to, not vigilantly on the lookout for it. And this event happens and now the event's over, it happened, and now I'm gonna be mad at you forever. <laughs> That's not fair. Is, is that what it sounds like? Yeah, kind of. It's 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 such a complicated situation. But yeah, it is. It's kind of not I'm going to be mad at you forever, but I'm not going to publicly support you is kind of the thing. And I don't think that that's fair, because for me, that kind of that kind of goes to show that we want to impress the society and show them that we don't like just show them that we don't agree with this, which, okay, fair enough, you don't agree with this, but also at the end of the day, this is my family, I'm going to protect them. So you, you're saying that publicly, we're disagreeing, we're not, we're saying the shame on you publicly, uh -huh. but privately, we're like, oh, good job. No, no, we, we're disagreeing on both sides. So we're disagreeing publicly. Okay. We, we're disagreeing publicly, and we're disagreeing privately. Um, but I feel like as a family unit, we should, yeah, let people know we don't agree with what was done, but also let them know at the same time, this is my family and we're going to work through this together. Oh, I got you. I got mm -hmm. you. So basically you're saying, you're saying that this is your business and everybody can stay the fuck out. No. No, that's too harsh. That's too harsh. Well, that's too harsh. basically, yes, because I think, I don't know about you, Lee, but um, back home, the community is so in everyone else's business all the time. And it always becomes a huge deal of what will people think. And that is the whole thing that I'm trying to get at is I'm so very much against doing something because of what will people think. And I think that, yes, we can express our values. We can express our disagreement. But as a family, we need to show a united front as well and be like, okay, I disagree with how this was done, but I'm going to I'm going to be there if they need my support. And I'm not going to allow outsiders to be part of this conversation. Yes. Yes. All of those things. And I think that's what you were getting at from the very beginning when you first started talking about how you were always being put in a box. You were mm -hmm. being told this is what you're supposed to be because other people around you are this way. So this is what you should, this is where you are. This is what you should be. This is what you're doing. And you can't tell us, we're going to tell you. And you're staunchly against that. And it, it includes it. It rolls up to your family too. It's like, Hey, you know what? It, it's our family thing. You know, I support my family. I love my family. We're connected. And just because you have some feelings about it doesn't mean I'm going to treat my family any differently. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's just like for me, like if outsiders come and say anything, I wouldn't entertain it, you know, in that community. I wouldn't entertain it. I wouldn't be malish or gossip about like someone who's in my family to someone outside just to entertain the gossip. Because um, say what happened back home is very big. It's very serious. And it's a family matter. At the it's end very of the big, like in your community, outside of your family? No, no. I mean, the issue itself is big. It's a big deal. It's a big issue. Oh, okay. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, 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 it's a big deal. And um, once people in the community start talking about it, they're going to make it an even bigger deal. And if I was there, I personally wouldn't entertain the gossip. Hmm. I got you. Know? you. I got you. Yeah, and that's a very powerful thing too, because you're you're an expert with communication, so you understand that even allowing this stuff to be entertained is it's harmful. It's harmful, and it's it's going beyond your boundaries as well. Because if you are really concerned about the person affected, you wouldn't add fuel to the fire. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I think that it, for me, I think about that in encountering someone who wants to gossip about my family, like, how, how dare you? <laughs> Sorry. How, how dare you come to me? You go, go talk behind my back, but you're going to, you're going to expect me to join in on this. Get this actually, 
This actually reminds me of something that happened to me when I was in Turkey, right? Um, and I can tell the story because it's mine. So sorry. I'm so sorry to your audience for being so discreet about, like, I'm just standing by my guns of not wanting to gossip about my family and not giving people the juicy details. So <laughs> I'm not I'm not doing that here. But anyway, the, the story in Turkey was about me and my best friend. Um, and it, it's just, it just reminds me of this whole situation. So my best friend in Turkey, um, I, I mentioned before that I'm very, very loyal to the people that I, that are in, I'm very, I feel very connected to. Right. Right. So me and her, we, we are best friends. We still best friends to today. And there was this third girl involved in our little friendship and, she came, the third girl came to me one day and started gossiping about my best friend. And she was trying to tell me like, oh, we don't know her. We just met her. We don't know what she's capable of. And I was like, whoa, hold on. Hold your guns. Why are you saying this to me? Like, shouldn't mm-hmm. you be having this conversation with her? And because I set that limit of don't gossip to me about the people I connect with, this third girl and I could never actually be friends because she was wanting to always gossip to me about the people in our circle. And I'm like, no, if you got a problem with someone, go talk to them. Don't tell me, don't come talk to me and try and turn. She was, what she was trying to do was she was trying to turn me against those people. And I'm like, your mm-hmm. issues are not my issues. I'm not going to be like, oh yeah, and fuel, fuel that. If you have an issue, we can talk about it and I can advise you how to talk to that person, but I'm not going to turn against the person just because you don't like them. Yeah. That's a really underhanded thing to do. And my, in my humble opinion, I mean, <laughs> that, that feels very, very toxic. To it was. Come at you like that. Yeah. It was, it was toxic. And um, it definitely did bond my friendship with my bestie even more because I guess like we both realized how loyal we are to each other in that friendship. Yeah. So what happened to the third, the third one, the true mean girl? <laughs> oh my God. I actually <laughs> refer to the group of them. There was three of them. I refer to them as the mean girls. I'm not friends with them. I don't talk to them. <laughs> I literally, I, I don't talk to them. I don't like actively not talk to them, but we just don't like, we never stayed friends. We never stayed connected. Um, Given like several examples of what unhealthy conversation looks like. Mm-hmm. Several examples. Un, unwittingly, I believe they're just here. You're talking about what's going on in your life and you're like, well, this is like a, a tit for tat kind of conversation. These are um, setting ultimatums. That's a conversation that is is really harmful. So what does a healthy conversation look like? I love that question. And I'm going to fast forward into my current life right now because I have so many examples of healthy communications in my life right now. Uh, And the biggest example I can take is my husband, my partner. We have such an open communication with each other that it's it's refreshing just to say the least um like so I come um just for your listeners I I was married before and divorced and this is my second marriage and when some as someone who was married previously I carried a lot of baggage into my second marriage and a lot of insecurity and a lot of fear And what I mean by that is if my partner now would do like one thing um, and I, I pick it up, I would catastrophize that one thing. I would relate it to my past relationship and I would like convince myself that the same thing's going to happen here. And what I could have done is I could have just not spoken to my partner about any of these things. I could have held on to it and I could have created a problem in my head that wasn't there. Mm-hmm. But instead, we have such an easy relationship with each other that we we actually know when one of us is upset or angry with the other, we give each other space, we give each other cool down time, and we wait for that person to come to us ready to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So we've been together, living together for about four and a half, four years. We've never once screamed at each other. We've never once raised our voice at each other. And 
And when we're ready to talk about things, we talk about things so openly. We listen and we actually able to to come to agreements with each other, a compromises with each other. And I think that for us, there's such a huge respect for the other person and such a huge, um, you know, wanting the other person to be happy. There's such a huge desire for wanting the other person to be happy. But we also have a sense of, I want to be happy as well. It's it's kind of like, it's such a unit, united front with each other that it's easy to have this open communication. Um, mm-hmm. And it's something that, I think we both set from the beginning. And for me, I set it because I recognize the patterns in the past that when I was unable to speak openly with someone, I wasn't able to have a good communicate, a good relationship with them. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it was very important for me from the beginning that to see how I was being received by my partner. Were they willing to understand me? Were they going to judge me on everything that I said? So from the get-go, I was testing these little things until, absolutely, you know, we, we actually reached that point where we, we totally trust each other and we know each other's communication styles. Yeah, that's how you have to go about it. I mean, I think that you're, I'm interested in, in how you did that. And I'll get to that, like setting these nice boundaries, testing the boundaries and seeing, because you know where yours are and you want to test mm-hmm. where theirs are. You know that... Well, if somebody's going to not listen to you, put you in a box, you've been there, you've done that, you're tired of it. You don't want to do it. And so, I mean, to recognize those patterns, what I'm curious though, like we just talked about how our parents could live forever in this idea that what they've done is as good as it gets. How they are is as good as it gets and it won't be any better. All the values that they have are set in stone. And that didn't happen for you. Like you could have gone that way, but what was that thing that that has that changed it that made you look like, hey, uh, I really recognizing that I'm in this place and when these people are around, I don't like it. You could have easily, just like many other people, just been like, Hmm. Well, I guess I'm here. This is all it is. It'll never be any different. I I did get to that point, Lee. Um, I did get to that point in my life where I was like, this is as good as it gets. I have to accept this is what it is. And I have to live with it. Um, it's such, it's such a long story of how, how I went through that whole process, but. Well, we only <laughs> got two minutes, so. <laughs> um. I would just say, well, you know what? I always, I always joke, and I think that in my past life, I think I was like a Buddhist or something in my past life because I feel like, I feel like from a very young age, I had a very high level of self awareness, and I was always very observant of other people's behaviors as well as my own. And this is from very young. I remember when I was like probably less than 10 years old I remember telling somebody that I wish I could have a job in when I grow up where I could just observe other people's behavior which is kind of like a psychologist right yes (laughs) 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 so this makes sense sorry go ahead yeah but yeah but I think that alone really helped me to pick up not just my own patterns but the patterns I was seeing with the people around me so, for example, I could very easily identify the bullshit. Um, and I could easily see that my mom and her mom, their relationship, like, although they thought they did love each other, of course, they loved each other very much, but their relationship was not the best relationship. Well, what made it not the best? Um, well, I would say, let me, when I say that I got the the bullshit like for example my mom would say to me that I shouldn't speak back to her don't speak back to me don't be rude to me don't speak rudely to me but okay. I would constantly see her speaking that way to her mother yeah <laughs> you see that, that's what I say is like I would see the bullshit and I'd be like well this is something's not right yeah yeah you know? exactly exactly <laughs> Because the the reasoning that you get is like, well, I'm your parent. Well, that's your parent. What are exactly, you doing? exactly. <laughs> and and I'd see it 
all the time. And I, I remember even once my, my grandmother got so mad with my mom for, for being so disrespectful. Um, mm. So, I mean, we see it. And the thing is, like, I think that sometimes people hold themselves to such unattainable perfection that the hypocrisy is just too easy. It's just too easy. Mm, yeah, I think that's true, too. That's a really excellent point that you pointed out. If you're 100% this or 100% that, it, it's really easy to say, well, I'm not this or I'm not that when it's inconvenient for you. So you have to be in a lot of self-denial um, to not be able to see that hypocrisy or to not even be able to accept it. Yeah, I think so, too. And like, there's this idea that I have that I... I mean, your your family mirrors a lot of what my family does. And as far as the communication where we don't talk to each other, we keep things close to our chest. I have no idea who uh, some of my family members are. And so when we talk about them and uh, communication with them, I think those people are so scared. That's what I think. Definitely. There's a level of security about living in your, in your comfort zone, living in what you know. Um, mm -hmm. and there's definitely a level of fear of anything that's different. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. So though I want to, um, step back because, uh, you're talking about, uh, I think your interest in other people. Well, that's what came to my mind. You're interested in other people because you were people watching. And so is this where this podcast comes from? You have a podcast. What's the name of it again? <laughs> Refreshingly human. Yeah. And so what's this podcast about? Absolutely. So this podcast is, as the name states, it's a place for us to be 100% human and explore the human side of life. Um, so all this time in this episode, I've been talking about people putting me in boxes and how we tend to put people in boxes and at Refreshingly Human, we want to unbox things. We want to go against the stereotypes. We want to openly discuss topics that might be a taboo or that we might not speak very openly about so it's just when I have a guest on my show I actually tell them that Refreshingly Honest is a 100% honest and human platform please bring your refreshing side energy to the podcast because we want to reflect that in every episode we want to reflect 100% honesty and transparency keep it 100 keep it 100 yeah and um, where it stemmed from is yeah definitely it did stem from people watching and from my own experiences of moving from one country to the other as a as a brown person as a brown skinned person and the the way I would always be pigeonholed or put in a box or you know um try to shape or the other one, you know put into one shade shade or the other you know um so it definitely came from that and came from wanting to express not just who I really am as a human, but just that we all have these human sides to us, good or bad. You know, I feel like we live in a culture where we so much want to present our best self to people. You know, my mental health is 100. My, uh, you know, I'm happy all the time. But there's no such thing as that. There's really no such thing as that. Nobody's happy all the time. Yeah, that's definitely toxic happiness. But um, so you talk about topics that are kind of taboo. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that you talk about? So currently we're discussing sex. Um, so that's been fun. Oh. Yeah, Ooh. that's been really fun. And it's just really interesting to dive into like different people's experiences with what they were told about sex growing up, how they deconstructed that, how they came away from it, what their relationship with sex is like today. And we talk about why we need to actively deconstruct things that we might have learned about sex growing up because definitely because everything that we talked about before our parents didn't get right they thought they did but <laughs> they didn't get right like there are some things we know now that we didn't know before so now we're going to look at those things it's like I, maybe the analogy is still here with some people but we're talking about getting on first base second base home all that stuff. Now we don't talk about it like that anymore because it's not a rivalry sport. It's a team effort. Mm -hmm. And I heard some psychologist uh, or sex therapist maybe talk about how it's a pizza and we're all sharing pieces. We're all sharing. Ooh. So what toppings do you like? What toppings do you like? And then we can kind of compromise and, and, uh, and share. And so th those things, it's not about 
the man or the dominant figure, whatever who that is, could be the woman as well, but it's not about them taking advantage of the person. So we had to go experience those. We had to go think about those and, and deconstruct. And that's what you're saying that it happens from every point of view, from a lot of different points of views. And I think we actively are deconstructing so much. Um, I mean, I think subconsciously we are deconstructing so much of what we were told, but I think that we definitely need to be a lot more aware of the deconstructions that are happening because that's how we can change things going forward. Yeah, I find that really fascinating that we, we're talking about it and like you're you're all about communication, you know, um, so it's a, it's a big theme in your life and we've talked about everything throughout why it's important to you and so forth. So then imagine that you're going to take this communication and do something else with it. Do you have any ideas or, or plans or thoughts about? Yeah, absolutely. Communication sciences is my, um, my degree. And I have been working on some communication courses behind the scene that I'm really excited about. Um, I have an Instagram page, the Revolutionally Conversation Guru. I will be releasing a lot of content related to the course that I'm going to be releasing, which is basically there to really explore our own patterns in communication. So one of the things that I have come to realize when talking to a lot of people is that we know, like when it comes to culture and diversity, we are all trained at work uh, or, you know, through seminars, we are trained about culture and diversity sensitivity. We know a lot of the terms behind them, but we are not given a practical guide of how to use this in our actual life and how how does it actually play out. So we're going to be diving into a very practical communication course that's going to take you from the fear of offending people to having confidence with your conversations and being able to pick up on communication cues as well. So it's quite comprehensive. There's a lot of work going into it, and I'm really excited about it. It, it definitely sounds like it's something that's very much needed this day and age, of course, because there are so many people who are like afraid to open their mouths because they're going to offend someone and they don't know what to do. They just don't know what to do with it. So that's really awesome that you're putting that out there. What was the name of the page again? Uh, the Revolutionary Conversation Guru. Awesome. And it definitely will be in the show notes. I'm going to link all the things that she has going on for her in the show notes. But um, ready? the first few sessions will be quite exclusive. So um, it's kind of like first come first serve for the first few sessions and before we open it to the wider public. So it's going to be a bit of an exclusive thing in the beginning. <laughs> Wait a minute. How do I get on the schedule? How do I get on this list? How can I, I be exclusive? Yeah, so just follow the page and as soon as we have our free webinars, you can book a call with me and I can get you on to your, the first course. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Hannah, thank you so much for coming on. And it really sounds like there's a lot of things that you discover, a lot of large patterns in your life that you discovered and you just kind of work them. You work them. And that's exactly what we do when we, we figure out what these patterns are. We turn them into new possibilities. So where can people find you? Where can they find and connect with you? Mm -hmm. So I'm the most active on Instagram at Refreshingly Human Podcast. That is my most active platform. Uh, but I'm also on Facebook as Refreshingly Human and on LinkedIn as Hannah Pillow. Uh, I really do appreciate people dropping me a DM on Instagram. As a lot of people know, I'm very good with responding to people uh, on Instagram. So if you want to connect with me, reach out there. I love making new connections so you know I feel like people see you in like the public eye and they think you're like unapproachable but please I love it when people dm me so if you want to reach out please do hey Hannah thanks so much for coming on really appreciate you and having your candid conversation being open as open as you possibly can essentially didn't get any of the juicy details but definitely respect that you have loyalty to your family Thank you again for coming on. And if you're interested in Hannah's course, you want to listen to the end because there's a little tidbit about what this course is going to be like. My name's Lee Hopkins. My pronouns are he, him, his. And you have been listening to the Patterns of Possibility podcast. If you want more content like this, please like, subscribe, and share. Follow me on Instagram. I go live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Thanks for listening. Take care.
Do you find yourself saying things you instantly wish you hadn't? Do you feel like you are constantly misunderstood for your good intentions? Maybe you feel like no one is giving you the space you need to make mistakes and this doubles your anxiety when communicating. Does this anxiety specifically creep up when you're communicating with people who are different from you or people from a very different culture? If this is you, then my free webinar is this is going to be the start of a whole new you. For more information, you can find me on Instagram at the revolutionary conversation guru and sign up for my free webinar. Hope to see you there.